You are now listening to the London International Christian Church Podcast. Genesis chapter 1. Verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and he said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every living creature that moves on the ground. You see, to be in the image of God means to reflect Him and represent Him. Reflecting God is at the essence of being in His image. So, reflecting God is the same thing as glorifying God. To glorify something, of course, means to make it look great. So for God to say that He made us in His image is the same thing as to say that He made us to display His glory. Now here it is. Further. When God gives rule to mankind, literally, over all the earth, that was His plan from the beginning. His purpose, dare we say, His dream, is for the glory of the Lord to fill the whole earth. Are you with me right here? But we know just two short chapters later comes the fall. Did God fail? No. no! Man fails. But even in this, God revealed His plan. God revealed His purpose. God revealed His dream. Let's go to Genesis chapter 12. The Lord has said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now God further reveals His purpose, His plan, His dream. He is going to build a nation of His people distinct from the rest of the earth. The distinction would be the very glory of God. And yet we know the Scriptures. 
We know the glory years of David and, and even Solomon. They passed quickly. And so by 930 B.C., the kingdom, the glorious kingdom of Israel, divides into the northern kingdom, which we call Israel, and the southern kingdom, which we call Judah. And sadly, both are on a very downward slope. By 722 B.C., the northern kingdom is swept into exile. Because the glory of God has departed. By 586 BC, the southern kingdom, Judah, is swept into exile and into Babylon because the glory of God has departed. Did God fail? No. You see, the nation of Israel, as God's servant, was supposed to bring the world to the knowledge of God by being the glory of God. Now here's here's a fascinating thing. In the midst of this darkness, stand out two prophets. Come on, bro. The first is Isaiah. Now Isaiah prophesies right before the fall of the northern kingdom. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 10. In chapter 10, the Spirit says, In that day, the remnant of Israel, the survivors of the house of Jacob, will no longer rely on him who struck them down, but will truly rely on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. A remnant will return, a remnant of Jacob will return to the mighty God. Though your people of Israel be like the sand by the sea, only a remnant will return. And then in chapter 11, he gives hope. He says in verse 9, They will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sage. In the midst of darkness, God is still holding out His purpose, His plan, and His dream to the prophet Isaiah. Even the dark days of Judah, Habakkuk rises up. And we read here these words. In chapter 1, verse 5. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your day that you would not believe even if you were told. I'm raising up the Babylonians. That ruthless and impetuous people who will sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. They are feared and a dreaded people. The prophecy is clear because the glory was gone from Judah. And yet in chapter 2 verse 14, once more the prophet says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the sea. God has not failed. Israel has failed. But God's plan, God's purpose, God's dream was now coming to the forefront. 
And here's what a lot of disciples don't fully understand and appreciate about the Old Testament. You see, Israel, the nation, was to be God's servant in order to bring the knowledge of God, the glory of God to all nations. When Israel failed, God says, I am going to bring a Messiah. Now, this is pretty exciting. Because in Isaiah chapter 42 through 61 are the passages of what's called the Lord's Servant's Passages. We would say the Messiah Passages. That epitomize what the nation of Israel should have been, but now is going to be in a Messiah. Let's just touch on some of these exciting scriptures. Let's go back to Isaiah. And at the very beginning of this section, the servant section, verse 1. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. Chapter 43, verse 5. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from far, my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Wow, this is incredible. Go to chapter 52. Verse 10. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. And let me tell you something. When you look at my arm, that's not the holy arm of God. Look at Michael Williamson, that's a lot closer to it. But he says, I am going to lay my holy arm in the sight of all nations. And all the ends of the earth are going to see the salvation of our God. And then a very famous passage of scripture in chapter 53. Surely he took up our iniquities and infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we consider him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. These scriptures still speak to us. I'll never forget the summer that the Holy Spirit allowed my Elena and our children to lead the young church in Cairo. Egypt. And I remember that a, a young Muslim man had just walked by the church building that we were worshiping in, and we just invited him on in. His name was Wahid. And it soon became clear that he was, he was searching, he was confused. And we got into a Bible study that day. And we studied the next day, and the next day, until we finally came to the study that had Isaiah 53. Now I'll never forget sitting down with him and saying, Well, he look at this passage. 
And understand this is the promised Messiah. The true prophet of God. Yeah. And I simply said, So Jesus took up Wahid's infirmities and carried Wahid's sorrows. Yet Wahid considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But Jesus was pierced for Wahid's transgressions. Jesus was crushed for Wahid's iniquities. The punishment that brought Wahid peace was upon him, and by his wounds, Wahid is healed. We all, Wahid included, like sheep, have gone astray. Wahid has turned his own way, but the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of Wahid. When he heard that passage, he just started crying. And the next day, he was baptized into Christ. Turn to chapter 61. In the concluding section of the servant of God, the Messiah passages of Isaiah, we read, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance for our God. Now that scripture should make you think of another scripture. Let's go to Luke chapter 4. Come on, bro. All right, babe. The Bible teaches that when Jesus came, no man knew who he was. And so when he comes to earth as the suffering servant of God, as the Messiah, as the man that is going to fulfill the plan through the ages of God for his glory, to fill the earth, We read that after his baptism in verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue as it was his custom. And he stood up to read. Now you've got to understand in that day, the Jews honored God when they read scripture by standing up. But they preached sitting down. <laughs> the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it's written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Wouldn't you love to have been there? They knew the servant passes in Isaiah. And his opening words to his sermon, Today this scripture is fulfilled. In your hearing. Don't you even feel a tingle to this day go down your back? Look at this. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. You may say, well, why did they they think that? Well, if you look very carefully at the text, Jesus cuts off his reading when he says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Go back to Isaiah 61. In verse 2 it says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor the day of vengeance of our God. You see, Jesus left out the vengeance of God right here. And 
go, wow, I really like this guy's preaching. <laughs> These are truly gracious words. But isn't he Joseph's son? And Jesus says, you know something, I don't think you understand. You're way too excited. He says, let me tell you the truth. Verse 24. No prophets accepted his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elisha's time, when the sky was shut up for three and a half years, and there was severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elisha was not sent to them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people of the city were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, took him to the brow of the hill in which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. It just wasn't his time yet. But when he laid out what Isaiah meant, they were furious. Well, what did Isaiah mean? Well, he breaks it down very simply right here. Jesus said, you know, during Elisha's time, the great prophet Elisha, it was a time of severe famine. Yet, he didn't go to any of the Jews to help them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. He went to a Gentile. And then there was the great prophet Elisha. And there were many people with leprosy in his day. But he didn't cure any lepers that were Jews. He literally cured the main enemy, General Naaman the Syrian. Right here is such, such a beautiful text that Jesus lays out. We understand that from a spiritual point of view, famine and leprosy represent lostness. And right here Jesus was laying out I've not just come to preach good news to the poor Jews, to proclaim freedom for the Jewish prisoners, the recovery of sight for the Jewish blind, to release the Jewish oppressed. No, no, no. I've come to the Jew and the Gentile. But the message was even stronger. And right here, Jesus applied, and, and Luke shares it with us, a literary device called balance. Balance is something that shows us the whole world is involved. So when God looks down from heaven and he sees Jews and Gentiles, that's the whole world. But notice right here, there's more to this. We find that Elisha helps a widow, a woman. And Elisha helps a man. So when God looks down from heaven and he sees the whole world, it also is described as men and women. Even more balance is right here. Because notice that he talks about a poor widow versus the rich general Naaman. And when you look down from heaven and you see the whole world, you see Jews and Gentiles, you see men and women, but you see the poor and the rich. Jesus says, I came to change the world. You know, many people, many people think that Jesus' ministry over those three years just heated up, heated up, and then finally there was such controversy that then there were death threats. Let me tell you something. From day one at the synagogue, Jesus had death threats. He was controversial because he wanted 
to change the world. He wanted to fill the earth with the glory of God. Are you with me here? In Luke 6, verse 12, we read, One of those days. Have you ever had one of those days? Well, that's one of these. One of those days, Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, He called His disciples to Him and chose 12 of them whom He designated apostles. Wow! It's incredible. Jesus understands that in order for the glory of God to be revealed to the whole earth, He's got to focus in on a few. He literally prays all night. We only have a record of two times that He prayed all night. Here, and of course, the time in the Garden of Gethsemane before his death. So, this is a huge moment. And notice that he calls his disciples to him in the morning. He'd been making and baptizing disciples for quite some time. And the Bible says that out of this large group of disciples, he chose twelve. Can you imagine the moment? It's in the morning. The Lord says, you know guys, I've been praying all night. And God has put on my heart that I've now got to share my dream and put my dream into 12 men. When your name is called, please come forward. (laughs) Peter, you're first. Come up forward. Peter comes. Then this one shocked everybody. Andrew, come on up. Because he was kind of a shy guy. A little bashful. He says, come on up. He says, okay, James and John. And you see them in the back just going, I knew we'd make it. And finally, they're all standing in front of all the other disciples. He says, brothers and sisters, let me present to you. The apostles. The messengers. The guys on stage are going. They were fired up to be chosen. And now Jesus was getting excited. Because now he's not the only one with the dream. But he knew just to preach it to the masses would not be the way to convey it to the whole earth. He had to focus in on a few. Go to Luke chapter 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he is about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go! Let's just stop for a second here. We understand that numbers in the Bible are not by chance. So when Jesus picked 12 apostles, he was signaling to everybody, Hey, just as old Israel was built on the 12 sons of Jacob, now I'm building a new Israel built on the 12 apostles. And very interestingly in this text, some versions have that he appointed 72 others. Others say 70 others. And most of the orthodox versions go with the 70. And I agree with that. You say, why? Because the number 70 represents something historically all the way through the Bible. But most importantly, in Genesis chapter 10, 
is the table of nations of all the world. And there were 70 nations. See, right here, Jesus is not only signaling, hey, I'm building a new Israel. But I got 70 others and I'm taking it to all the world. Can you imagine that Wednesday night? I mean, Jesus was there with the guys. And he had these 70 new guys there. And, you know, Jesus had an amazing lesson that night. It was, it was very simple. The first point was the harvest is plentiful. And the second one, but the workers are few. Everybody loved it. I mean, you should have heard Jesus preach. It was amazing. You know, he stuck to his 45 minutes. I mean, he, he is the Lord. And he says, okay, guys, you know, to end, we're going to have to pray. We're going to have to, to pray for workers. So everybody gets down on their knees and they pray. It's a great prayer. They get done. They head to the back for the juice and the cookies and some of, some of the things that the sisters had made a little bit earlier in the day. And uh, then about 15 minutes into the fellowship, she's goes, hey guys, guys, I've got an exciting announcement. And everybody gathers on in. I mean, now, now you know, he's got the, the 12 apostles and he got 70 new guys that have been appointed. And he says, okay, guys, your prayers have already been answered. No! We're going we're gonna to get more workers? Yes! We're going to have more... Peter goes, Are the workers coming from Los Angeles? No, no, no. Andrew? I bet it's New York City, right? No, no, no. It's, it's not from America. James goes... Stockholm. It's got to be coming from Stockholm. I bet that's where the new guys are coming from. No, no. Jesus says, very simple. I'm sending you out. Now go. You are the answer to your prayers. You are the workers for the Lord. Amazingly, he now has the 12 apostles and what Orthodox versions call the 70 other apostles. After all, these were all appointed by Jesus. He goes to his ministry, you're familiar. He dies. He's buried. And he's gloriously resurrected. I love that video of the resurrection in you. And so now we go to a book that some call Luke to the book of Acts. And we see right here in verse 1, Luke writes, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote all about what Jesus began to do and teach until the day was taken up to heaven after giving instructions to the Holy Spirit and the apostles he chose. Of course, that's the book of Luke. After his suffering, he showed himself these men and gave many convincing proofs he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So for 40 days, he has one theme in all of his lessons. The kingdom of God. I hope we're not leaving out the kingdom study when we study with people. Well, he has some last words for the guys in verse 8. 
But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Wow. When he said this, all the guys go, I remember, that's Isaiah 52.10. They, they said that the arm of the Lord will be bared in the sight of all nations to the ends of the earth. And then they just watch him ascend to heaven. And the Bible says in verse 12, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives. A Sabbath day walked from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas, the son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up amongst the believers, a group numbering 120. Wow. So they go back to the upper room. Most scholars believe this is the same upper room that they had the Last Supper in. And in fact, was the upper room that John Mark's family provided. And the Bible says that in that upper room, and it must be a considerable size, there were 120 people. Well, who were the 120? Well, it was the 11 faithful apostles. And it's quite clear right here that they were joined constantly in prayer along with the women, the women leaders. And then Mary, the mother of Jesus, and all of his brothers became disciples. Is that awesome? Well, how do you get 120 from that group? you got to add the 70 other apostles. And you come up with the 120. What a group. Would you give me that? An incredible hard life group. Well, then, just a few days later, you know the story. The Holy Spirit comes in. The sound of a blowing wind. A ball of fire comes in amongst 120 and it explodes. And on top of every single person, there's a ball of fire. Now, some think that Michael had the ball of fire. And others believe that Nick did, but that's not true. And they began to speak in a bunch of other languages. Is that awesome? And they go on out and they preach the word. And Peter concludes the message in verse 36. He says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you've crucified. Talking to all the thousands of people there in Jerusalem, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, And the apostle, Will we believe? What shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all of whom the Lord our God would call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. What a great first day in the kingdom. 3,000 baptisms. This is incredible. Peter gives the keys to the kingdom. And 3,000 people that single day were baptized. Now what's very interesting, it says the 3,000 were added to their number. Well, what's the number they were added to? The 120. But no 
scripture says they devoted themselves apostles teaching fellowship breaking bread prayer, just, it's just them the 3,000 new disciples were indistinguishable from the hardline 120. They were all sold-out disciples. Because at this point, they fully understood to make Jesus Lord and to be baptized was to be willing to not only die for the Lord, but die for the cause. That was the price they understood that they were accepting at that time. Well, very interestingly, we look at what happens in the church. And in verse 47 says, And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. And for us in L.A., it's very exciting to have daily baptisms for the last three years. And it's so exciting when you see the Bible come alive in your church. I can't wait till we have daily baptisms in London. Daily baptisms in Stockholm. Daily baptisms in Paris. Is that fair you want up? Well, we see this is exactly what happened in Acts chapter 16. Verse 5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. You see, the concept of daily baptisms wasn't just for the Jerusalem church. It is for every church because every church needs to have the dream. Needs to understand that it has been the purpose of God from the very beginning to fill the earth with His glory. We understand the book of Acts ends in Rome. Paul's in imprisonment in a rented house. He's under guard. And while there, he writes the book of Colossians in about 62 A.D. We read earlier in verse 6, all over the world this gospel is bearing fruit and growing. But then look at verse 23. This is the gospel that you heard, and that is proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Amazingly, the three years of Jesus' ministry, the 33 years of the church, about 36 years, in about 36 years, Paul writes when he's at Rome, every creature under heaven has heard. Now, that doesn't mean everybody in the world became a Christian. It doesn't mean that everybody went through the study series. Hadn't been invented yet. What it means is they had heard of this movement. They had heard of this guy, Christus, Jesus. And in many cases, they heard through persecution. You know, there is no doubt that our brothers and sisters in the first century evangelized the nations in their generation. And yet, we have people who call themselves disciples that say, this is impossible. And then I call your attention to people who don't even have the Spirit. McDonald's has evangelized the world. Nike's evangelized the world. Coca-Cola's evangelized the world. The Beatles have evangelized the world. That doesn't mean everybody eats McDonald's, wears Nike, drinks Cokes, or likes Beatle music. It means that they've heard of these things. And so I put before you, 
the taking of the gospel, the bringing to the glory of God to all nations, was something that was done in the first century. And by the power of the Spirit, we are going to do it again in the 21st century. I have three quick charges. The first one, the glory of salvation. Second Corinthians. Verse 12. Argo gave a tremendous speech this morning about the fading radiance of Moses. And we'll pick it up in verse 12. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who had put a veil over his face and keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull. For that day, say, the same veil remains from the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And the church said, This is incredible. He says that every true disciple reflects the glory of the Lord, not with a fading radiance, but with ever-increasing glory. You know, for me, I was not raised in a Christian family. My mom and dad did not believe in Jesus. I did, however, get involved in a fundamental Methodist church when I was in high school. And I, quote, prayed Jesus in my heart to be saved. And I made some outward changes. However, in the next few years, I began to compromise. By the time I got to college, there was drinking and impurity to such a terrible level that when I was initiated into my fraternity at the Monday night dinner after the initiation, sadly I was awarded the hot and nasty award. And I called myself a Christian. But that was good because it humbled me. Two weeks later, I'm asked to go to the Church of Christ where they have a discipling ministry. And I go there for a few weeks. And one Sunday night, one of the guys sits down with me and lays out Acts 2. That you got to believe. you got to repent. you got to turn away from the deeds of the darkness. you got to become a disciple. And then you got to be water baptized to have your sins forgiven and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I was insulted. I was ticked off. I said, are you telling me that I'm not saved? He goes, exactly. I go, okay, I thought so. I I left, I was furious, but I went, I was so troubled in my spirit that my life did not match the doctrine of God's word, let alone how the Bible taught about how to become a true Christian. I came back the next night. We had a Bible study on baptism. And at 1.30 in the morning on April 11, 1972, I was baptized into Christ. You know, we need to have a deep conviction. That's just only one way the Bible teaches to be saved. There are four false 
doctrines that are stopping people from understanding the glory of God. Number one is other religions. But Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way to be saved except to believe in Jesus Christ. If you do not believe in Jesus Christ, you are not saved. Secondly, people say, well, I have a good moral life. I live a much better life than the people around me. And yet Romans 3 says, All have sinned and fallen, what? Short of the glory of God. Because the glory of God is perfection and light. There's no one that is perfect. And therefore all have fallen short of the glory of God. And no matter how moral or how righteous and compared to others, all men are lost. Then this group of people that that say, well, if you're baptized as a baby, your parents intended you to be raised in a Christian way. You are safe. And yet a baby can't have faith. A baby doesn't even remember if he got baptized. <laughs> and then there's many people like me who believed and accepted the false doctrine of praying Jesus into your heart. I did it very sincerely. But being sincere does not make you right. And I was as lost I prayed Jesus in my heart as I was before I prayed Jesus in my heart. I made some outward changes, but I was not saved. I did not have the Holy Spirit inside of me. And right here in 2 Corinthians, we now understand that it's the Spirit of God that allows us to reflect the glory of God. Are you with me right here? I had I had to understand that there had to be an identity change. As a denominational Christian, I saw myself to be a fraternity guy that happened to be a Christian. But after I got baptized, I understood I'm a disciple and I just happened to be a fraternity guy. See, some of you out there may see yourself as a plumber that happens to be a Christian. But you need to understand your identity now that you're baptized into Christ. You are a disciple that just happens to be a Christian. Some out there go, well, I'm a mom of three kids and I happen to be a Christian. No, 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 no. You're a disciple and the Lord has blessed you with three kids. After I'd been a Christian for over 35 years, I lost my identity. Come on, Kip. See, I was taken out of leadership. I believe by the hand of God. But I saw it because I was so bitter that men were out to hurt me. And so I was depressed. I was sad. When our old movement fell, my faith in God fell. But it made me look at my life. And I saw that I need to separate the movement from God and that God is more glorious than I ever thought and the movement well it's just filled a bunch of guys like Carlos Nick and Philippe and me I, I had to understand that the reason I was sad is that my leadership was taken away and yet when I was 17 years old I was so fired up I found truth 
And here I was in my late 40s, depressed. When I understood that what God was teaching me, He says, your identity needs to be as a son of God, as a disciple who reflects the glory of God, not as a leader. Now, when you get that on straight, when you're a disciple, you're going to become a leader. You know what I'm talking about right there? And then the Lord showed me something that someone once taught as the Laban principle. Jacob, as we will know, literally means the deceiver. Now, I don't know why his mom and dad called him that, but amen. And he was a deceitful guy. Well, the Holy Spirit works, and he has to go live under his uncle Laban, who's a worse deceiver. He's there for 20 years under deceiving Uncle Laban. I mean, he messes with Jacob's marriages. He messes with his livestock. Finally, after 20 years, he leaves. But if you look at the scriptures very carefully, Jacob never deceives anybody again. But one of my weaknesses as, as a leader in the old movement was that I did not show mercy to the weak. So what did God do in his wisdom? He made me weak spiritually. And then he put people over me that were merciless. Now I go, God, I see how that feels. I will never do that again. <laughs> we need to understand that God is totally at work. Because you see right here, when you're baptized, you enter the glory of God because the Spirit of God enters you. But you don't stay in that state. The Bible says that you are to be transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory. I want to speak to the remnant right here. When you tell your life and you tell the spiritual heights, are your stories in the old movement? Or in the new movement? If all of your stories are in the old movement, you need to be like Bruce Springsteen and bag the glory days. Those boring stories of the glory days. Because we have all been called to go from glory to glory with ever increasing glory. Our greatest days are in front of us as the movement of God. Are you with me right there? Point two, the glory of proclamation. Yes. Go to John chapter 15. Okay. And we read this. If you remain in me, in verse 7, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciple. Amen. You see, when you're plugged into the Lord, you are going to bear fruit. And bearing fruit gives glory to God. And He doesn't say you're going to eke out a baptism every 6 or 12 years. He says you're going to bear much fruit. And I really believe with all of my heart. If you've not been fruitful, if you've not borne much fruit, you need to look at your relationship with God. Not at your discipler, not at your Bible talk, not at your situation. You need to look at your walk with God. Because it's God 
that brings people to him and sends disciples into their lives. Are you with me right here? Go to Hebrews chapter 5. Come on, bro. Well, remember, Jesus preached for his 45-minute limit. I need to confess, I'm not Jesus, so... In Hebrews chapter 5, we read this passage in verse 11. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you're so slow to learn. In fact, at this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, that's all food. Anyone who lives on milk, feeds still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Right here, Paul is admonishing the disciples that have been around a long time, hey, you guys are so slow to learn. You should be mature at this time. And how does he define maturity? As someone that handles the elementary truths. Someone that handles the first principles and is able to teach others. See, just because you've been around a long time does not make you mature. The mark of maturity is being able to lead other people to Christ. See, as a matter of fact, maturity in our kingdom lingo is being a Bible talk leader. See, the call right here is for every single disciple to increase in glory. The call right here is for every single disciple to not only know the first principles, but to be able to teach the first principles in order to be a Bible talk leader. Are you with me right here? Now, some people take a little while to become a Bible talk leader for different reasons. And some people are kind of ushered into Bible talk leading a little bit more quickly than they were expecting. That's kind of me. I was baptized in April as a freshman in, in college at the University of Florida. And everybody was very excited because they were going to have a Bible talk on Monday nights at 10 o'clock in my room in the fraternity house for my sophomore year. And I remember I was so fired up because my minister, Chuck Lucas, was going to be the Bible talk leader. And I just considered him the best Bible talk leader. And so the first week, it was awesome. The second week, and I'll never forget this. At about 5 to 10, the phone rings. Now this is back in the day, you had a phone you held in this little cord. And um, it was Chuck. He says, hey, Chip. I, this is in the olden days. But he says, I'm in the appointment right now. It's going long. I'm not going to be able to come tonight. Can you do the Bible talk? Sure, Chuck. My heart just sinks like this. I'm going, what am I going to do? I mean, I, wanna, I don't want to just preach. I want to have a good discussion. So the Holy Spirit put on my heart to do Galatians 5, 19 through 21. There was a great discussion that night. It was awesome. Next Monday night, 5 till 10, phone rings. I was, it was Chuck. Bro, I'm not going to be able to come. Can you lead the Bible talk? Sure, Chuck. What am I going to do now? Oh, I know, I know. A lot of these guys think they're Christians. I mean, after all, fraternity pin is a white cross. I will do how to become a true Christian at And once more, there was a lot of discussion. The next couple of weeks, praise God, Chuck came. Thank you, God. But then a few weeks later, 
the phone rang. Chuck? Yes, is this, can you do it? Sure, Chuck, love to. But I thought, what am I gonna do? And then I says, I will do a combo. I will do Galatians 5, 19-21 with Acts 2, 36-42. It was awesome! It was incredible! And that week, my roommate was baptized. Michael Call. A couple weeks later, my best friend was baptized, Paul McGrath. And a few weeks after that, another fraternity guy named Buddy was baptized, Buddy Powell. You see, the Lord sometimes kind of pushes you a little bit. But you need to understand, that's the way you need to be going. And I want to call every single disciple in this room, particularly the London disciples, to aspire to lead a Bible talk. Do not wait for a phone call from Michael or Michelle. You know, I've got to say this. Um, London Church, you've had a great year so far. Uh, you've had 40 baptisms and 7 restorations. And, and you have a very good retention rate. really want to commend you in the Lord. You now have exactly 130 sold out disciples in the London Church. But I got a challenge. Starting Sunday, we count again. And by the 2016 European Missions Conference, the London Church has baptized a hundred people into Christ. Are you with me right here? Finally, our last point, the glory of celebration. Turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. One of my favorite passages. It says in verse 7. But we have this treasure. He's talking about our salvation. The glory of God. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Now they're kind of breakable, aren't they? And you know, as you get older, you figure out that everybody's a little fragile. Especially yourself. And sometimes the jars of clay are shaped in different ways, by the way. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Amen. I love the Phillips translation, which was the Bible I used to have when I was baptized. And it says right here, struck down but not destroyed, NIV. But in the Phillips translation, it says, knocked down but not knocked out. <laughs> you get knocked down a lot as a disciple, don't you? It's not how many times that you get knocked down, it's how many times you get back up. Are you with me right here? You, you need to understand, you are going to get knocked down. Don't, don't be surprised. But get back up. Are you with me? Verse 13. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. 
But that same spirit of faith we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in His presence. All this is for your benefit. So that the grace that's reaching more and more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. He says, listen, every day we die to ourselves. We die to ourselves so that the life of Jesus can be given to others. And this grace is reaching more and more people. More and more people are getting baptized to cause thanksgiving among disciples and giving glory to our God. Is that awesome or not? Then look at this. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away. Some of you older Christians can relate. Right, Michael? Amen. Renee? They say amen in Amsterdam, right? Though outwardly we are wasting away. Come on. Yet inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. For our light of momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory. That far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. Do you realize that all of the, quote, difficulties, hardships, and persecutions that we have, Paul sums up in one word, light. He has another one, momentary. (laughs) Trouble. He says, but you know, when you endure, when you're knocked down, but you're not knocked out, it's achieving for you an eternal glory. An eternal glory. You know, right now, the world is afraid of ISIS. They're afraid because these men and women are willing to die to kill you. Now we know it's satanic. But instead of radicalizing the Muslims, it's time to radicalize disciples. So ISIS is evangelizing the world with hate and fear. But God's movement needs to evangelize the world with love and peace. And to do that takes more courage. Because we cannot strike back, we in fact must turn the other cheek. You know, I'll never forget when we started a remnant group here in 2007. Jacques and Jeanette were here. Come on. And, uh, you know, Tim and Leanne Kernan had come on over here, and they were all fired up because we had our first kind of conference we called The Gathering. And all 19 people were handed a certificate. Remember that, Chuck? Well, three months later, they're down to six. There are a lot of people that wanted the glory, but didn't want to pay the price. 
And I remember Tim calling me being so sad. He says, you know, bro, I'm just so sad. I, I feel like a failure. We're down to six. I said, bro, this is exciting. This is awesome. I said, now you know who's really a sold out disciple. And they start to baptize and grow. But also, never forget, coming to the conference and getting greeted at the sold out movement greets everybody that comes. We love you with the love of the Lord. And doesn't that feel good when you get that song sung to you? And I remember we, we took the pictures and all this. And then Tim said, hey, bro, I need to talk to you for a second. Ah, sure, bro. I said, how's it going, Tim? He goes, bro, it's going really awesome. It's, everything's awesome. So many people are coming. He says, only one thing has been a little, little bump in the road. I said, what's that? Well, there was this woman that took out an advertisement for you, Kip, and me and Leanne to be killed. What? Yeah, she offered money, and the police are all over it. They think it's very serious. Hmm. Well, out of curiosity, how much? How much was she like offering? Well, in, in round numbers, it's, it's, it was about uh, two thousand dollars. Two thousand for three of us. That is, that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard of in my life. <laughs> of course, the police did take it very seriously. And so for the whole conference, we had the police, the Bobbies, escort us everywhere we went. And as you may or may not know, we didn't die. <laughs> But you know something? Some of us, we look at the troubles of this world and they overwhelm. They paralyze us. And the thought of death frightens us. And yet, biblically speaking, it's eternal glory. Do you have the original Crown of Thorns project? You know that we take it from the scripture in Acts 1.8. It's on your seat, I think. We read the scripture today. Jesus says, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Well, for God's modern-day movement, Jerusalem is Los Angeles. Judea and Samaria, the old Jewish nation, well, it's the United States and Canada, very Christian-oriented. And the ends of the earth, well, they're still the ends of the earth. We have the same goal. And notice that there are three phases of the ends of the earth section. Phase one is to plant the crown of thorns churches. And we picked out 12, arguably, the most influential cities of the world being guided by remnant groups. And so amazingly, we just put this plan out in 2009. And notice everything is color-coded. If it's red, that means there are no sold-out movement disciples. If it's purple, we have a remnant group. And we are coming. And if it's green, we have a church planting. And look at it. Isn't it exciting? Santiago, London, Sao Paulo, Mexico City, Paris, Sydney. Now look at the other side right here. Chennai. Isn't that amazing? In their first year, over a hundred editions. Moscow. I, I still remember being at the Moscow service 
in February. I mean, it was the worst storm I've been in. It's snowing. It's sleeting. Constant winds of 30 or 40 miles per hour at 8 in the morning as I'm making my way over to the conference center for the inaugural service. And when I was carrying my umbrella, it wasn't like this. It was like this. <laughs> and all the disciples came early. And we were all praying, God, please, please take away the snowstorm. By 10 o'clock it had stopped snowing. And by 11, when the service was supposed to start, you could even see a little blue sky. And amazingly, the 17 on the mission team, the 33 on the men group, 50 disciples, on that snowy, blizzardy day in Moscow, Russia, had 227 at the inaugural service. given him 53 baptisms, 28 restorations. God is working powerfully through Oleg and Aliana and the Moscow Church. Amen? Well, look at the next one. It's Manila. Well, we had the Manila inaugural service on June 7th of this year. And we only sent a team of nine disciples to run the group of 49. And amazingly, in less than five months, they've had 81 additions. 60 baptisms, 13 restorations, and 8 place membership. And all the restorations and place memberships come directly from the ICOC. But notice, the next one is purple. And we changed it from Johannesburg to Lagos, Nigeria. Now we're going to do Johannesburg. And we're certainly excited about Jock and Jeanette being sent out here to really officially establish the remnant here. And as you can see on phase two, Johannesburg is right there. It's purple. We're coming. Amazing thing happened just a few months ago. A mainline church of Christ preacher contacted me, came to the African Missions Conference, Benedict Addison. I studied with him, and it was amazing. He said, I want to join the new movement. Amazing. He's the same age as me, 61. He was baptized the same year when he was 17. And he gave up everything. He has been totally shunned by his fellow mainline church of Christ preachers. Well, except for one. That was his son. His son literally lives in Lagos, and Good Hope has now joined the movement. And excitingly, even as we're preaching today, Andrew Smelly, the world sector leader for Africa, is in Lagos, Nigeria, laying the foundation for the mission team that goes out April 3rd from Los Angeles. And so, and so the last Good News email, we sent out what we call... Not the Macedonian call, but the Nigerian call. And yes, we put Tina's picture in it. And Iggy. But there was one person I couldn't put in that I wanted to put in. Because we had to wait for this conference to announce that he was on the Nigerian mission team as the number two guy. He's going to be appointed an evangelist. Yomi Fellow is on the Nigerian team.
course, we do next April, and Dubai, Lord willing, we do at next August Global Leadership Conference. R.D. Baker and his new wife, April, and R.D. used to lead the church in Bahrain in the ICUC. He grew it from two people to 40. And Lord willing, the Spirit send them out, and look at the last one, Hong Kong. The mission team is already gathered there in Sydney. This is amazing. We're almost done with the Worldwide Crown of Thorns project. And now it must be on to the Crown of Thorns Europe. Are you with me right here now? You know, they're, they're basically two calls for the glory of celebration. If you're a national, you need to make the decision tonight to go home and save your people. God did not make you, God did not make you the nationality that you are by accident. You have a purpose. You have an eternal purpose. It is put the glory of God into your nation. I do praise God for Josh and Jeanette going back to Johannesburg, South Africa. I praise God for Yami going back. But I challenge everybody. See this as the call of God. And get fired up. And what's the worst that's going to happen? Well, a light and momentary trouble. And worst comes to worst, eternal glory. And for the rest, I want to call you to be missionaries. Come on. You see, Jesus was the first missionary. He came down. So we could go up. I'll never forget, back in the 90s, there's this brother named Sammy. He was married with two kids. He was in the Amman Jordan Church. And the time had come to plant Baghdad, Iraq. No one was voluntary. He says, listen, me and my family will go. Four other brave disciples joined them. And so he planted the Baghdad, Iraq church with six disciples. How did they go in? They started a restaurant in Baghdad. I guess it was pretty good. Because over the next two years, they had 50 baptisms. However, after two years, Sammy was arrested, and their number one Iraqi convert named Mazar. They're jailed, stripped, and beaten. After two months, the word comes that Sammy's going to be released because he's not an Iraqi. And by chance, but as disciples, we don't believe in chance. As Sammy was being sent to his checkout point, he got on the same bus as Nazar. And they knew they had about 10 minutes. During that time, they sang and they prayed. And Nazar told Sammy, Tell the church. I'm faithful. And don't give up. And that's the last 
that we heard of our brother Nazar. But he's achieved eternal glory. You see, to die for the cause is our ultimate reward. To die, we go to heaven. When Elena had cancer, at first I was taken aback, but then I, I started thinking, maybe this is God's plan. Because I remembered back a few years ago, there was a kingdom kid that used to come to our Bible talk at our house. His name was Brian Palash. And the kid was super standoffic. You know, you've seen those kind of kingdom kids. Arms crossed. I'm not doing anything. And I gave you a real hard time. I know what you're all about. You want to baptize me. And it's not happening. He came to our Bible talk for about four years. Then, his mom, Terry, got ovarian cancer. The dad, John, stayed faithful. And Terry stayed faithful. And she died a faithful disciple. And achieved eternal glory. Brian watched how she died. And two weeks later, he was baptized as a disciple of Jesus Christ. We need to understand that God works in light and momentary troubles because they're achieving for us an eternal glory. Jesus came down so that we can go up. London Church, European disciples, it's time. It's time to wake up. It's time to heat up. It's time to sing up. It's time to speak up. It's time to preach up. It's time to pray up. And it's time to pay up. It's time to hurry up. It's time to grow up. And it's divided from a brother. Make up and love up. But let's never give up or let up or back up or shut up. Until God's movement is built up. Glorifying God in all nations in this generation. And may God bless you all. We would like to thank you for listening to that episode of the podcast. If you would like video versions of these episodes, whether it's sermon highlights or interviews, feel free to check us out on our website or view them on our YouTube channel. That's londonchurch.org.uk. That's L-O-N-D-O-N-C-H-U-R-C-H.org.uk. And for all other updates and information, whether it's services, events, or devotionals, you can find all that on our website also. Once again, we'd like to thank you for listening and we'll catch you on the next one.